This is Calvary Baltimore's Harford County Bible Study with our senior pastor, Josh Plantholt. And now, here's Pastor Josh. Our text this evening will be Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to do the first 17 verses, which is a miracle, if you know me. (laughs) Uh, So the structure for these things, since it's our first one, I'll fill you in. I'm going to be aiming to teach around 30 minutes. Uh, if we go a little under, that's okay. If we go a little over, that's okay. It's just we're going to keep it loose, and I'm going to give you what I got. Um, also, uh, I settled on Matthew, but just so you guys know my heart, I've really been chomping at the bit to do First John, and I'm really chomping at the bit to do the life of David, First uh, Samuel. So one of those things are coming soon. I don't know when. I'm thinking, remember, remember during the snow days we did Jonah? Uh, I'm thinking about doing First John. For our, for our next set of snow days. Just something to be in prayer for me about. Um, anyways, that's it. So <clears throat> we're going to jump into the genealogy of Matthew. And one of the things I was, I was thinking about before we hopped into the exciting topic of genealogies <laughs> is just how fascinating it is how cultures change over time. Because when someone says, you know... I, as the pastor, people come up to me and they go, I really want to start reading the Bible. And I'm always go, great. And they go, where do I start? And I almost always tell them, start at the gospel, start at Matthew, read to the book of Acts, and then follow up with me. Sadly, almost no one ever does. So it makes me think people just back out anyways. But whenever I tell someone to start in Matthew, I always feel the need to let them know, don't get discouraged at the first chapter because it starts with a long list of names and that's okay. It's, it's a genealogy of Jesus. And, you know, modern day people, Americans, don't typically come to long lists and get excited, do they? <laughs> Us modern people, we're not particularly captivated by long lists. We tend to check out when we read them. Partly because uh, lists uh, to us often are associated with chores and to-do lists and grocery store lists and budgeting items and Excel. I hate Excel, right? Excel spreadsheets and itemized receipts. You live in Excel, don't you? You love Excel, don't you? Oh, yeah, we're on different continents here. But ancient people, ancient people love lists. If you read old works of antiquity, they'll just throw lists in the middle of a chapter somewhere. They love lists. Uh, and they're, again, frequently in ancient works. But, but more importantly than ancient people, our God loves lists. Which is why the Bible is filled with them. The Bible has so many lists in it. And if you think about it, doesn't the Old Testament start with a list? In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth, and he runs through the list of create. It's an orderly account. There's that word order again, sorry. Uh, and and it's, it's a list of creation. And here we see with the opening of the New Testament, God begins with another list, uh, the genealogy of Christ. So if I could encourage us, we should love lists because our God loves lists, uh, and we should be interested in them. Now, one of the reasons I think modern people aren't typically fascinated by lists is because we typically don't read a movie's ending credits or a grocery store list and think there's deep buried treasured meanings inside of them. But God doesn't write lists that way. He buries infinitely deep truths within every single word of his Bible. There isn't one word wasted 
in the entire thing that is our scriptures. Uh, and that includes in the seemingly monotonous, which are his lists, and even the genealogy of Matthew that opens the New Testament. So, for example, the genealogy in Matthew, the first 17 verses, is pregnant with meaning. One of the hard decisions I had to make was how many teachings did I want to spend on the genealogy? And I said, I'm just going to do one. <laughs> but it's pregnant with meaning. And, and one of the things that I did want to highlight was the numerology. Um, our God loves numbers, for those of you that have been tuning into to Revelation here, uh, and really loves numbers and lists. So I'm going to rattle off some numbers. Do not feel the need to write them or memorize. There's no quiz at the end of this. Uh, but, but really interesting. So in our first 17 verses, the genealogy, there are 72 Greek vocabulary words. But each, each letter, this is fun, each letter in both the Hebrew and the Greek have a numeric value to it. So, for example, the letter A would be alpha. That has a numeric value of one. <laughs> B would be two. C would be three. And, and the ancients had ways of ascribing numeric value to letters. Well, if you add up the 72 words, you get 42,364. Interesting, it's a number divisible by seven. And I think that's pretty cool, right? Because... God, all through the Bible, writes things in threes and sevens. So they seem to be holy numbers to God. And what I mean by that is he sets them aside to use them as he desires, even if no one sees it. <laughs> he, he puts it there because he enjoys it. So this is cool. The, the 72 Greek words in the genealogy occur in 90 forms, which means sometimes there's a variant of a word. There's a plural use of the word. There's tree and trees. Uh, well, if we add all of the words together in their variants, we get 90 Greek words. Surprise, surprise, it's divisible by seven. And if we add these 90 words together, we get 45, uh, 54,075, also a number divisible by seven. And if one word was removed, the whole list diminishes. It all, it all falls apart. And I'm reading this going, that's really cool. That's really interesting. If we add just the nouns of the genealogy, we get 56, another number divisible by seven. Eight sevens to be exact. And this carries all the way through the book. I'm looking at the math of the Bible going, this is not possible to, the, to just randomly occur. Again, one slight change and the whole structure falls apart. And then we get to the, when we get to uh, our, our teaching in two weeks, uh, chapter one, verses 18 through 25, which is the birth announcement to Joseph, there's 161 words in the Greek there, 23 sevenths. If we add those words up, they are divisible by seven. And it's over and over and over again. So this leaves us with two thoughts, and I think this is healthy uh, for us, maybe as a preface for this whole series. The Bible is not one book amongst many. <laughs> this is a peerless mm -hmm. book that we can and should and have the privilege of giving our life to it. Uh, and it's been handcrafted by the same guy. You know, you have to look up at the night sky and go, wow, dad painted that. <laughs> Actually, he just spoke it and trillions of those things just everywhere. And the same God who did that and, 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 our, and our DNA, have you seen like what the human body's made of is incredible. The same God that did put all those systems in place, put, it seems infinitely more detail in this book. 
So every word, every letter, every syllable, every Matthew 5.18, every jot and tittle, as Jesus would say, is masterfully placed. And so when we come to this book, um, we want to come joyfully, knowing our dad has buried treasures inside of every passage. But we also want to come reverentially, don't we? I mean, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, understanding. We, we need to understand that this is so much bigger than us. And there's a way to misuse the Bible. There's a way to read this in, inappropriately. And, and, and that should really make us be scared to, to take our dad's words in a bad or a flippant way. And so we need to be, uh, we need to be reverential and, and intrigued because <laughs> I know that it's beyond us. I can't tell you how many times I, I have to give a teaching on Sunday and it's like, I know I barely understand this the way that it's, it is. Um, but that's part of the joy of it, isn't it? Our dad's written it in such a way that we can study it forever and it grows. The, the second thing here um, is because these things are true, that there is no small detail in this book or this gospel account. So if we really believe that God wrote this, then we can really look at every single detail and go, there's something there, right? I mean, if I wrote it, you can just go, ah, oh, he's talking nonsense. But if God wrote it, there's a reason. Well, I was looking at the genealogy, and it's organized into three groups of 14. So that's 14 generations from Abraham to David. The next set is 14 generations from David to the Babylonian captivity. And then finally, 14 generations from Babylon to Jesus. If you have an eye for numbers, you would have noticed that's 14, that's two sets of seven. And there are three of them, which means there are six sevens in total. Now, I'm me, I go, God, why aren't there seven sevens? Uh, why did God do this? And the answer is <laughs> that Matthew, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he places the story of the birth of Christ where the seventh list of seven would begin. And, and the point is that this book, the New Testament, starts by showing us that a new seven, a new set, a new genealogical list is beginning, but it starts in Christ. Jesus is, is a new era for God's people, a new chapter, a new family list is beginning. And because it's the seventh seven, as you know what seven means in scripture, it means complete or, or whole. This is a whole list that will be founded and started in him. So, so Matthew's showing us that a new era in the life of God's people is beginning in him uh, for, for us has begun. Uh, and he's taken us from Abraham to David, David to the Babylonian captivity, to the Babylonian captivity, to Christ, and from Christ to us, the church. And this is partly what the entire book of Acts is about. When you read it with this context, you'll see that people, I love that sermon in Acts chapter 2. I reference it all the time. And Peter gives that lights out sermon that Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said was both equally logic and fire. And he gives this sermon and it says they were cut to the heart. 3,000 people. Can you imagine what 3,000 people deeply repentance would, would look like? That's awesome. I'm so happy when there's one or 3,000 at a time. And they say in unison, Peter, what do we do? Like they're broken. Cut to the heart. He says, repent. Get baptized. 
Now, what they understood that to mean was in the John 3 context, they needed to be born again. Mm -hmm. They needed to go down under that water and die (laughs) and come out totally new. And what we can see here is then it says, and more were added to the church daily. Every day. The lineage of Jesus Christ, by the time we get to the book of Acts, we see that the lineage of Jesus Christ through faith in him was growing. The family tree was growing. Uh, and, and, and that we are God's handcrafted, preserved seventh uh, new section of genealogy in Christ. Which is why in the book of Revelation, where what are we told? That the, the believer's names are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's a list. <laughs> Our salvation's predicated upon a list. And what I would argue as we look at the whole of scriptures, it's a genealogy. It's those who are in Christ in that list that start from the seventh generation, the lineage in Christ. And so Matthew starts his gospel off with where Jesus has come from and leaves it with a new beginning, building in us an anticipation for where this is going. Something new, a new seven is coming. Uh, And the answer to that, of course, we know as the church, which is us doing this here today. So I think it's time we finally read our text, huh? (laughs) Uh, Verse one. Verse one. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And hopefully, if you know the Old Testament, you can poop, 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 you know, the, the, the pieces are coming together. And Judah the, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Hashan, and Hashan the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. I love that. (laughs) And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, the Solomon, uh, and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, God bless you, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. Are you seeing the sections he built in place there? Really interesting. Uh, Matthew, interestingly, includes four women in the genealogy of Jesus. Now, sometimes you'll hear women were not allowed in genealogies. Well, that's not really true. It just was really rare that women were allowed in genealogies in the first Century, it, it was a very rare thing, but but it happened occasionally. Now, now, so interesting to me, the four women included our Tamar, who dressed like a prostitute to seduce Judah. Kind of an odd addition to add to the lineage of Christ, huh? Rahab, who was an actual prostitute in Jericho. Ruth, who uncovered, remember that's where she uncovers Boaz's feet? You know that's a Hebrew idiom for his male organ? She rolled his thing up to his waist and sat there. Uh, the wife of your yeah, they don't add that to the children's book, do they? Uh-huh. 
That story just changed a little. The wife of Uriah. Uh, isn't that interesting? She's not even given a name. Uh, Bathsheba's, it's not even there. Who gave David a son under some pretty shady circumstances? What's really puzzling is if Matthew's going to include women in the list, why does he, I mean, why does he add these women? Why couldn't he go with like Sarah or Rachel or Abigail, right? Why didn't he bring out like the A team uh, of the Jewish line? And three thoughts here. First, I think Matthew by drawing from the life of these women, is showing us that God brings life and hope and fruit out of really bad and muddied situations. <laughs> uh, even when when his men like David, I mean, David slept with another man's wife, killed the man, and then started, a, you know, a lot of people died because of his sin. But Ultimately, this didn't stop God's plans at all. In fact, God used them, Romans 8, 28, for his good and purposes, and he brought out the promised Messiah out of this dysfunction. Um, secondly, something else worth noting that Lightheart brought to my attention, that, quote, each of the women gave birth in circumstances that might have seemed immoral or scandalous, unquote. And I was thinking about this. So's Mary. She's going to be the fifth woman here giving birth in a kind of precarious situation. Mary's pregnancy will be under a circumstance that does not seem ideal. She's 13, 14, unmarried, having a child. You think, you think the first few people she told the story to, oh, this is God's baby, one, yeah, sure. <laughs> of course they did. So this does not seem ideal. This seems misunderstood, seems immortal to the outsider. And what Matthew is doing here is he's preparing us. He's preparing the reader to understand Joseph's reaction. Because Joseph's going to hear this and go, I got to dump her. (laughs) And he goes to break up with her. Uh, And to understand, and for us to understand his reaction, to understand that God brings about children occasionally in odd or seemingly unideal uh, circumstances. But these children are always used for his glory if he says mine. Now, thirdly, excluding Mary, the four women uh, listed in the genealogy are all Gentiles. Uh, With the exception of Bathsheba, who's named, uh, who isn't even named, but is called the wife of Uriah. Uriah was a Hittite. Uh, So all four women were members of Gentile households. And here Matthew is showing us that the Messiah who is coming also comes from Gentile blood. Why we need to know this? Jesus isn't just for Jewish people. He's one of us. He's part of us. He, he, he didn't just come from Jews, for Jews, by Jews. This is, this is for both Jew and Gentile. And, and our blood, our lineage is in him. Uh, and, and Matthew's showing us that the Christ is for everyone. And by the time the gospel writers wrote these accounts, some the, the normal estimate is about 30 years after Jesus died, 25, 20 years after Jesus died, they started writing these accounts. And a lot of Judaizers were already beginning saying, no, 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 this is for the Jew. And Matthew here seems to be pushing back against this and go, no, 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 the Lord is for everybody, <laughs> which I love. Uh, verse 12. And after the deportation to Babylon... 
Jeconiah was the father of Sheltiel. Well, that one's always tough for me. It's kind of a tongue twister. Sheltiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, and Abiud, the father of Elkim, 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 and Elkim, the father of Azor. I was doing so good. And Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Matan. And Matin, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation of, to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Are you seeing it? We are ready for a seventh. We're ready for a new season of humanity to begin. Uh, I love, we're done our reading. This list begins, the, the opening of the New Testament begins with Genesis. Isn't that cool? The, the word genealogy that we read here in English means Genesis. Uh, and, in, and in Greek, that's how it begins. Genesis, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, so Matthew opens his gospel with the book of Genesis, the Genesis of Jesus Christ. And then immediately he goes to David, and then verse 2, he starts at Abraham and then gives the lineage of Jesus from Abraham and then all the way down to Jesus. What Matthew is doing is he is introducing, introducing us to who Jesus is. Jesus is the Genesis. He is the A, the Alpha uh, Matthew's making it very clear to us that Jesus, or that Genesis and Jesus are connected, because he starts all the way back at Abraham. Uh, that Jesus has been the plan since the beginning. If we look all the way back, when we look to Genesis chapter 3, man sins. Man told he was going to die. Adam, if you eat of that fruit, you are going to be dead. And man ate that fruit. And instead of killing them right there on the spot, which we deserved, immediately the father starts talking about a son who's going to come. And it was almost at that moment he, the father was preparing to send Jesus Christ to die for the sins of that poor meal decision. <laughs> and so it has been the plan since Eden, since before Eden, that Jesus Christ was the one to come and die. And then Matthew connects Jesus to arguably Israel's two most important figures, Abraham and David. Now, I would argue Moses is also in the mix, but there's a reason he chooses Abraham and David. Abraham and David, uh, Matthew is showing us that Abraham and David were the two people that received the covenant from the Lord. And the covenant that God made with Abraham and David were planned to be fulfilled in Christ. Remember, remember God says, Abraham, all those stars, you're going to have more kids than all the stars in heaven, than all the sand on the seashore. Uh, and he tells David, you're going to have a mighty line out of your, out, out of your household. And and what, 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 what Matthew is showing us is Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these things. Uh, and, and Jesus has been the plan from the garden to Abraham, to David, to Isaiah, to Malachi. Jesus has always been God's plan. The plan has always been for God to send his own son. So Matthew, in his opening statement, is telling us who this Jesus Christ is. He is the promised son of Abraham. 
He's the promised son of David. And not only is his name Jesus, he says, as Matthew says in verse 1, Jesus is the Christ. That's how he introduces us to him. That word Christ is roughly uh, the Greek equivalent of the Messiah or the anointed one. So not only is Jesus the promised son from the entire Old Testament, he is also the anointed one. He's coming, uh, he's anointed by God himself to complete the task of God himself because all of humanity has failed to do so. (laughs) We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And that's a huge theme of the four gospels, that Jesus has come to do the will of the Father. You know, what was the will of the Father? Well, we see, I think, pretty clearly in John 3.16 that the Father so loved the world. He sent his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The question is, why would man perish? What's that about? Well, the the reason is God is holy and we are not. (laughs) And a just and holy God cannot allow injustice to continue forever because if that's the case, there is no real justice. And so something had to pay for the sin of the world. And there, there we see who this promised son is. Jesus came to reconcile humanity to a holy God, to give us peace that our father and mother, uh, Adam and Eve, traded in for a piece of fruit. (laughs) Now, what I love here is we look at the beginning, Jesus is the Genesis, he's the Christ, he's the Alpha, we're beginning at Abraham. When we get to the end of the list, we also see that Jesus is the Omega, He's the climax and the conclusion of the list of what the entire Old Testament was building to. Notice that Matthew both begins and ends the genealogy with Christ. (laughs) Matthew is showing us through this list that the Father has been preserving a line to bring about the Messiah through some pretty messed up situations, might I add. But he's been preserving a people this whole time. And then finally, Matthew clues us in that now is the time The entire Old Testament has been building to this man, to this moment, to this promised son of the covenant, from this seed of the woman from Genesis chapter 3. It's all been building to the Christ. And here's here's what I want to leave you with. As we begin to march through this book together, and I'm so excited. (laughs) As we begin to march through the story of Jesus in Matthew's gospel account, we have to understand the enormity of the moment, that we are reading the climax, the culmination of everything that the Old Testament was building to. We we are coming to the apex of humanity in this sun. (laughs) Uh, All of the laws, 316 laws in the Old Testament, all of them point to one individual, All of the stories, all of the sacrifice, all of the death, all of it has been building to the Christ. And that's how Matthew opens his gospel. The promised son, the the Christ has arrived. The new era of humanity, the seventh seven uh, is here. And then paradoxically, when we get into our study next time, he then shows us who it is. And it's a little tiny baby (laughs) who's going to be born to a poor, young, virgin girl 
in some poor little backwoods community who's going to be her husband or her fiance is going to try to dump her. She's going to be misunderstood. She's got to flee. And then eventually Herod tries to kill him and they got to move to Egypt. Like you don't think the king has arrived. He's running for his life. <laughs> but, but, and again, everything's paradoxical here, but, but the entirety of, of, of human existence up until this point has been building to the singular moment. And this child's going to change everything because as Matthew opened and closed this section with, he is the anointed one. He has been prepared and equipped by God through his spirit for such a time as this. He is God. And so we're going to have fun when we get there. Thanks for joining us for Calvary Baltimore's Harford County Bible Study Podcast. If you'd like to get in touch or come visit us at Calvary Baltimore, head to calvarychapelbaltimore.org for service times and directions. If you have a prayer request or you've just been blessed by today's teaching and want to say hi, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. To donate to the work God is doing through Calvary Baltimore, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click Donate Now. Pastor Josh and all of us at Calvary Baltimore consider it a blessing to serve you. We hope you'll join us again for the next Calvary Baltimore Harford County Bible Study Podcast.